Go ahead and grab a seat. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We're in 1 John, not the Gospel of John, but 1 John chapter 2. And so we're, we're reading through this, we're studying this, and we're memorizing uh, chapter 1. Um, and so I just want to encourage you in that, um, and just that you would, you would persevere in studying God's Word, memorizing God's Word. I, I printed out chapter 1 for myself so that it's on my desk, so I can be looking at it. If I'm asking you to memorize chapter 1, I need to be memorizing chapter 1. And, and here's the thing, like, you will never regret memorizing God's Word. And, and I know you can do it. I know every single one of you can do this, from, from the very youngest of ages to older, right? And you know how I know this? I, I've, I've got a pop quiz for you, right? So when you turn on your favorite radio station and a song is played, right, you can very quickly, even if you haven't heard that song for years, you can very quickly begin to sing along with it. Right? So, so if you listen to the genre of music that I generally listen to, uh, let, let, me just, let me give you a line and you can help me to finish it. All right? There's a lady who's sure that all glitters is gold and she's buying a stairway to heaven, heaven right? From the Christian rock band Led Zeppelin. Right? <laughs> you very quickly, you, you knew that. Right? Now, now, if you listen to like Kelly's genre of music, you know, like the 80s, right? um, here, here's, here's the line. Singer in a smoky room a smell of wine and cheap perfume. cheap perfume, right? Somebody at the nine o'clock said cheap perfume. I'm like, cheap perfume? I'm like, cheap perfume, right? And so if we can do this with a song, just one line, you can come up with it. I think we can all get to the place where we are memorizing God's word. And just imagine if, if we had the kind of recall on God's word that we have on, on music, even secular music, wow, what a difference it would make. And our, our marriages and our families and our church and, and our community and world. Okay, so as we get into uh, this, this section of scripture we're going to look at today, I, I want you to know, like, I am sounding an alarm because John is sounding, sounding an alarm. Like he, John is seeking to wake us up today. He, he wants us to, 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 us to realize that there's a difference between us and, and the world, that there should be a difference between us and the world. And I think, you know, the, one of the, the greatest challenge for us as followers of Jesus today is not persecution. It, it, it might be, in a, you know, for, for missionaries and for Christians who are living in, you know, non-believing uh, countries, but, but not here. I mean, the, it, we're not getting persecuted, especially in, in southwestern Pennsylvania. I think that the greatest challenge to our faith is the seduction of the world. Charles Spurgeon wrote these words. I believe one reason why the church of God at this present moment has, been, has seen so little influence over the world is because the world has seen so much influence over the church. Like, ouch. Right? And so, I mean, it's, it's just becoming just increasingly, increasingly more difficult to see where, where the world ends and where the church begins. Right, we just, you know, statistically, if you just look at the statistics, the difference between people who are Christians and people who are not Christians, right, it's, it's just alarming. We look so much like the world around us. We're, we're just as materialistic, just as sexually immoral, as self-centered. Racially, we're more divided than the world. Our, our spending patterns are, are strikingly similar to the world, world around us. You know, so, some... Statistics say that, that Christians, on average, about 6% of Christians tithe or, or give 10% of their income to, to the church. 
You know, the, the, the percentage, think about this, the percentage of Christians viewing porn is the same as non-Christians. Christians practically, you know, just as, we're just as practically likely to, to have, you know, sex out of marriage as Christians, whether we're single or married, as people who are not Christians. It just doesn't matter. Christian marriages ending in divorce is, is the same as non-Christians. And this, this is alarming for us. And what we're going to look at today is, is John, he's being very clear to us and, and helping us to understand the difference between what God desires for us as followers of Jesus and, and the world. Something needs to change. Dramatically needs to change. And so we're, we're going to tackle that, that issue today. So, so buckle your seatbelts. So if you got your Bibles, I hope you do, turn to John chapter 2. We're going to be verses 12 through 17. Now, we've talked about how, hey, there's different versions of the Bible, right? And I said, hey, I'm reading out of the NIV, and then, you know, I just realized, you know, this week, oh, there's, there's multiple versions of the NIV. So, like, don't let the different versions, if there's a word here or there that's a little bit different for yours than mine or what I'm reading, you know, that's okay. Like, look for the meaning. Okay, so let's look at verses 12 to 17, and then, um, then let's break it down. I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything of the world, the cravings of, this, of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. And so, first of all, John, he says, look, let me give you the reason why I'm writing this. And, and so he's, like, remember, this, he's writing to this church in Ephesus, this church that he loves, that he cares for. And so, just as I love you and I care deeply for you, John is, is trying to make it so clear for his people. And I think, and just to me, I'm like, wait, the things that are happening in the early church that John's writing about are still happening nearly 2,000 years later. And... And so he begins by, by saying, dear children, or, 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 or little children, whatever that is in your Bible, you can, if you're writing in your Bible, you can underline that. In essence, he's saying, look, I'm, I'm the father of your faith, right? I'm the person who, who has introduced you to Jesus. I've taught you, I've equipped you how to be more like Jesus. And he's saying, look, you're, you're children of God. Remember your identity because of your faith in Jesus, that because of that faith, he proclaims you to be his sons and his daughters. And, and then he goes on, and, and he begins to, to kind of give us some, some direction in terms of the way that people, he sees people uh, in terms of their, their faith journey and how, how faithful and obedient they are to, to God's word. Look at verse 13. He says, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. Now, and if, as you read this and you're like, hey, what about the women and, and, and the girls, right? And no, like, this isn't about gender, right? This is, this is a picture of those who are older and, and newer in the faith journey, right? So this is a spiritual thing. This is not a gender thing. And so you can underline fathers and young men. If you want to write mothers and, and young women, you can write that there as well. 
But he's saying, look, here, if you circle that word no, right? Like he's saying, those of you who are further along in the journey, you know. By what you've experienced, what you've seen in your everyday ordinary life, you know, right, that, uh, who it is, who God is. Right? And, and, so, and then he says, then circle the, the word overcome. So he goes from those who are further along in the journey to people who are new in the journey. And he's like, hey guys, you, you know. You've just recently overcome. This is a spiritual battle. This is something very real. And in today's world, we, we don't kind of walk down that spiritual battle conversation very much. It kind of you know, messes with us a little bit, makes us scared a little bit. But, but John's like, you know what? I'm, I'm going after it today. And we're going to go after it today. We're going to dive into this. Because it's so important, because we're all dealing with this. But, but I, I want to, I first of all, before we get into that, right, I, I want to just look at verse 14, because it just, it's, it's a, something that we see in John's writing. Right? We said last week that John is the, the chief reminding officer. Like he's, he, he knows us, so he knows that we, we like to read fast and, and move on as quickly as we can. He's like, no, no, you can't move on. There's these things that just, I'm going to repeat them again and again and again so that you get them. And so in essence, in, in verse 14, he, he says the same thing as he does in verses 12 and 13. He says, I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Like in that one verse, he's just completely repeated verses 12 and 13. So if you're writing in your Bibles, you know, I've shown you a picture of my Bible, right? You can underline dear children or little ones or fathers and young men. And once again, you can circle the word no. It's in there twice this time. You can circle strong and word of God and overcome. Like these are key words for John and for us. And so he's like, look, we, yeah, we, we got to understand something, right? The, the evil one, right? He, he has conquered he is overcome by the strength that comes from having the word of God abiding in us. That's why I'm always saying, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. If you want to overcome the evil one, this is how you do it. It's very simple. It's very clear. Like if, if you get anything from this today, right? John's like, hey, I, I want you to know why I'm reading. I want you to know why I'm talking about this today. Right? That, that your strength, your ability to be able to overcome the evil one, it, it comes directly from you spending time in God's word. Of getting up in the morning and opening up God's word, spending some time just alone and quiet with God in prayer. This is how it's done. It's, it's not a magical formula. Right? It's, it's very, very simple. It's spending time with God in his word and getting it into you. So today, I, I want to equip you to be an overcomer. And in order to do that, I, I need you to understand two things, just two activities of, of Satan that, that the, actually the, the Word of God enables us to overcome. And so the first thing, if, if you're taking notes, is, is Satan's accusations. And so, so think about this. Accusations, it, it, like, so Satan, right, he accuses us for, with the sins that we've already committed, He's accusing us of the sins we've, he's, we've already committed. And so sometimes in your Bible, my Bible, it'll say the word evil one, or sometimes it'll say Satan. And so Satan is, kind of, is the name uh, for the evil one, and, and it practically means someone, it means accuser, 
or adversary. So in, in, the, in the kind of in the margin beside yours, like down you can see kind of at the bottom, I wrote the word accuser, but I also wrote the, the, the reference Revelation chapter 12. If you're able to quickly turn to, to Revelation chapter 12, we're going to look at two verses real quick. And it describes the work of the evil one. It describes the work of Satan. The writer of Revelation says, For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. So I want, to, I want to focus just on that first part, right? So you can, if you're writing your Bible, you can underline accuser and accuses. Right? This is the work of Satan. This is the work of the evil one. But then, then the writer of the book of Revelation flips it, talks about triumph and blood and word. And you can circle those words because they're key words. And what the, the writer of the book of Revelation is saying, and, and, the, and John is saying in, in the, what we're looking at today, is that we, we overcome, we triumph, over the, the evil one, over Satan, by the blood of Jesus and by God's word. And so we, we want to think about God's word as, as living and active. It, it's literally your, your link you know, to, to heaven with Jesus, right? Where, where he is your, your infallible, all-gracious advocate. Remember we talked about this last week? That, that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father, and he is advocating on your behalf and on my behalf. But what else is happening there? We see it in Revelation chapter 12, that the accuser is, is sitting there too, day and night, accusing you and accusing me. Look what they did. That's a sin. They deserve punishment. They deserve death. And he accuses and he accuses and he accuses you and me day and night to our Heavenly Father. But we have an advocate in Jesus who is saying, you know what? Forgiven forgiven. They, they put their faith in me. They, they're, they're your son. They're your daughter. You've adopted into the family, dad. Remember that. So this is ongoing, right? And, and, so, the, and so just think about this. So the, the way that Satan uses this in us in kind of our everyday ordinary life, and I, and I hear people talking about this, and it's really, it's the, it's the difference between what's happening in heaven, right? The difference between forgiveness and, and accusation, Right? And so there's not a perfect person here. Right? None of us are perfect. And, and so when we sin, right, that should lead us to confession. That should lead us to repentance so that we can receive forgiveness. And, and when, so when we do sin, right, not if, but when we sin, right, Satan, the evil one, he's going to come rushing in like, ha, ha, ha. And he's going to start accusing you. Right? He's going to start bringing guilt and shame and brokenness into you. And he's just going to keep reminding you, and reminding you, and reminding you. But remember, we also have an advocate in Jesus who, who died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins and mine. Right? And so, and so we, we are forgiven. We are washed in the blood of Jesus. So regardless of, of what the accuser is saying about you, we have a, a bigger truth that comes from our Heavenly Father because we were in Jesus. And so, so I want you to understand something. It's, it's not about when the, all this is happening, it's not going from, from bad to good. Right? It's, it's going from sin to forgiven. 
Right? And, and so like Waymaker, we just sang about this. People are lifting their hand. We're singing. We're having church, right? right? He's the one who's the way maker to a, that allows us to be able to approach the very throne of God because he died for us. And so when you're feeling that, that, that guilt and that shame and, uh, from, from your sin, like that is not coming from God. That's coming from the accuser, from the evil one. And you need to remind yourself, you need to remind him that you are in Jesus and that you are forgiven. And so this is why we want to become just saturated in God's word. Because when those times come, they're going to come for all of us. We have to find ourselves rooted in something bigger than ourselves. And that's the truth of God's word. So, so the first thing that, that Satan uses is accusations. The, the second thing that, that Satan uses is temptations. So, so accusations are, he accuses us of the sins that we've already committed. Or temptation is he tempts us with, to do sins that we haven't committed. Right? And so you can, you can be tempted and not sin. Right? That, that's Jesus. He was tempted in every way, and he never, san- never sinned. And so think about this. If the devil can't undermine your faith by accusation, he is relentless in trying to undermine your faith with temptation. And so temptation, and it's every sort imaginable, right? And, and so I think when we talk about, hey, temptation is going to be these immoral things, right? And we, our minds can go there and we can think, we can list all those things that, that all of us are, are susceptible to. But, but I want you to think bigger than that, wider than that, maybe I should say. Think cancer, right? And this temptation to destroy your faith when you or someone you love has cancer, Think unbearable pain or the loss of loved ones or sickness or pain in your kids. Think, think financial hardships or, or marriage tension or natural disaster and violence. Right? And so, so the temptation in those moments when we're experiencing those things, like just the, the brokenness of this world, is, is like, I'm walking away from God. I mean, why would a good God allow something like that to happen in the first place? That's temptation. And when those things come to, to my mind, whenever I start going down that road, I start thinking, wait, wait, wait. Why am I so quick to blame God for something that's so obviously from the evil one, from Satan? It's about temptation. And he's accusing us and he's attempting us to walk away from our faith. And, and so, he, so Satan, he, he does this. It's just He knows us so well, doesn't he? Right? And, and so he does this through lying. Right? He lies to us. And he, and he has two lies. He says God is bad and sin is better. In some, some shape, some form, that's how he's going to tempt you. He's going to lie to you. And say, God, he's bad. Why would he let something like that happen to you? You deserve better. And sin, oh, this would be so much better for you. You'd be so much happier, satisfied. Right? That's what Satan is doing to us. And then, and then John, really, he gets very practical, I think. He's a, he says, look, that when you realize all this is happening in the spiritual realm, it's happening inside of us, there's a battle for us, right? We've we got to realize we, 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 just, we can't love the world. Look at verses 15 to 17. John writes, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, 
But whoever does the will of God lives forever. And so it kind of takes a little change here, and he gives us a command to begin with. Do not love the world, right? And so you can circle do not, and you can underline world. It's in there twice, right? So this is the only command in this section. So maybe, uh, to me, I'd say this is probably the main point for John, right? And, and John knows, he, he know, I'll just say he knows me really, really well, right? He, he says, do not love the world, and then, right, he's repeating himself all, so many times, but he says he adds something this time, or anything, right? And, and for me, I'd be like, well, what about this? Not, nope. How about this? No. This one, this one, uh, no. Right? He, he knows us so well. He's like, this is all inclusive. There's no wiggle room here. He says, anything. Do not love anything in the world. And then he tells us why, which I so appreciate. Look at verse 17. It says, the world and its desires pass away. So you can underline the word world and, and, and desires. And so, so when he's talking about world, right, you know, he's talking about the systems of thought and, and practices and ideas and patterns and, and really pleasures that are set up against God and his word. And so, so John is clearly saying that, that the love for, for that worldly system, that worldview, and the love of God and his word, they, they, can't, con, they can't coexist. It, it's It's impossible. Right? And I think sometimes you know, we, we recognize that, but, but other times I think we're, we're, we're lulled into to, to worshiping something that really we shouldn't be worshiping. You know, for, you know, I think about like sunrises in the morning or sunsets at night or waterfalls, <laughs> the beauty of my wife, right? And we can look at the sunrise, right? It's this way, you know? I get here early in the morning and I'm like, oh, Look what God did in the sunrise. And it would be very easy and very tempting to worship creation. Right? My wife has been with Abby all week down in Georgia. Right? I'm like, oh, I can't wait to see her. Right? It would be very easy for me to just worship her beauty. But all that is really, it's, it's supposed to be going up to God. It's like, this is what God has done for us. Our Heavenly Father has provided this beauty as, as the creator Right? And Satan's like, no, no, worship that. Worship the sunrise. Worship your wife and her beauty. Like, no. Let it be directed up towards heaven. And so that's why I think he, he talks about the desires of our hearts, right? And so you can, you can underline cravings or lust, boasting, pride, whatever words are used in, in, in your Bible. And he's like, look, you, you've got all these things, and your heart is going to be pulling and pulling, and God, is, and, and the evil one is going to be tempting us towards these cravings, and they're so strong, and they're going to be directed just at you, and just the way that it's going to be most tempting for you and for me. He says, you know what? I just want to remind you of something. It's all passing away. It's all going to be gone in the blink of an eye. It's short term. In our culture today, we're, we're such an instant gratification, you know, culture, and, and we, we wanted to just have it and have it now, right? And, and it just, he's like, look, it doesn't last, and it doesn't ultimately satisfy. It just doesn't. But look at what it says in the second part of verse 17. He says, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. And so you can circle that word does. That's about our everyday ordinary life. And you can underline the will of God. 
If, if, if you love God, he's just being really, just plain. He says, if you love God, you'll do his will. You'll follow his word. You know, and, you know, it, I think it's, it's as we're raising our, our teenagers and our kids and our young adults and be like, hey, on Sunday morning, I, I love God. I worship God. I raise my hand. But then on Monday through Friday, I live in a completely different way. Like, I, I think this next generation, they, they sniff that out and they're like, mm-mm, I don't think so. I look at your life, and I look at what the Bible says, and you say you're a Christian, but I don't, I just, I see a disconnect. Right? And, and, and John's calling us out. If we love God, we, we will do the will of God. And so when the, the, the love of the Father is in you, 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 be, you begin to see things, like, you see everything through the lens of, I, because of this, I actually, I get to love God more. I just got terrible news about a, a loved one. This is an opportunity for not me to wag my finger at God, but to be like, okay, I have to rely even more on God. I have to trust God even more with my marriage or my relationship with my spouse or my kids or my parents or whatever. Like I get to love God all the more and trust in his sovereign grace and mercy all the more because I see who he is. And I see that the reality is this world is passing away. Oh, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. And really, I think we, we begin to, to live through the kind of a, a lens that, that Paul describes in, in 1 Corinthians 10.31. He writes, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, that's the part for me, whether you eat, you, whatever you do, like every aspect of your life, every aspect of my life, we do it all for the glory of God. What would happen if you were able to say, whatever I'm doing, at home or at work, with my neighbors, by myself, whatever, wherever you are, whoever you're with, I, I'm ultimately I want to do it all for the glory of God. My fear is like most of us, we, we don't know this kind of experience of, of God's love. This isn't the, the deepest desire of our hearts we, we, we love the, the world so much more than, than we love God. And it's just evident in our, in our everyday, ordinary life. I just, I love you guys. And I desperately want you to, to, to have the word of God, so, to saturate your life so much with the word of God. That as, as quickly and as easily as you can rattle off a few verses from a song, that that's the way you see God's word. And, and it's not just something that, that happens up here and you've got this memorized, a whole chapter like we're trying to do. That's good. But then you, you do the next thing. Everything that you do, whatever you do, you do it for the glory of God. And so if you're, you're sitting there wondering, oh, how, how do I get out? How do, how do I break this, this, this thing? I feel the, the accusations of God, or of, not of God, the accusations of the evil one. I feel the, the temptations of the evil one. How, how do I break free? I mean, and honestly, if, if you're not wondering that, I, I'm more afraid for, for the destiny of your soul than you are. We should always be asking ourselves that question. See, we, we break free by believing that by God's grace, that, that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is, is sufficient for our sins to wash away all of our sins, past, present, and, and future. 
And, and, then, and, and when we do sin, when we do fall, by God's grace, when we confess our sins, we're going to be forgiven. We're going to be set free. And in those moments when, when we realize that this brokenness has happened between us and God and us and one another, like we, we cry out in that moment, oh God, would, would you help me? Would you equip me? Would you give me the deepest desire to just live out your word instead of these, this, the, the desires of my heart in this world? Would you transform me, God? I need you. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Let's pray. Almighty God, oh, we feel the accusations of Satan. We feel the temptations. And they, they're so personal. They, they, he knows us so well. God, I pray that every one of us would come to know you so well and know what you declare about us in Jesus, that, that these accusations and these temptations fall away. And I know this side of heaven, we're, we're, we are going to sin. And God, we're relying on your grace in that moment. We're relying on your forgiveness. Relying on your promises to forgive us and to set us free in Jesus. So God, I pray, oh God, I pray for all of us we'd have the courage to root ourselves in your word, to see the, the temptations and the accusations for what they are, and to live as your sons and your daughters, adopted into your family through faith in Jesus. Oh God, may we, may we live for your glory in everything that we do. God, we love you and we praise you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.